The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Empower Radio presents The Miracle of Healing with Lisa Campion. Meet healers, learn different modalities, and hear empowering stories of people on their healing journey. The Miracle of Healing on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Lisa Campion. Hello, I'm Lisa Campion, and this is The Miracle of Healing on Empower Radio, where we come together every week to discuss all kinds of healing. And that's something we all need a lot these days, right? Um, and if you're well, if you're new to my show, I really want to welcome you. Thanks for being here. And if you've been coming along with the ride for us for a while, then welcome back. It's nice to have you back here. So we have such a good topic, such a meaningful topic today. Um, and we're, we're, we're going to speak about how do we make peace with death and dying? seems like um, I'm excited to talk about it. It seems a little strange to say that you're excited about talking about death and dying, but it's such an important topic because it's the one thing we know we're all going to do. And yet there's this powerful death taboo that we have that prevents us from speaking about it. Um, it perpetuates fear and avoidance and um, you know, it's kind of our primary response to death. And as a result, far too many people suffer through the experience going alone, feeling isolated, frightened, maybe ignorant of what their choices are, afraid to bring it up or talk about it. And then the people that are supporting them also can feel the same, like, let's not talk about this kind of pressure. And I'm very excited to have with us today, um, Judith Johnson, who is an educator, minister, chaplain, an author. And she has helped a lot of people through the dying process. And she's gonna speak with us about what we can do to live our lives more powerfully as we sort of confront this issue directly, when we kind of belly up to it um, and really look at it, take it out of the shadow. Um, it just gives us some powerful freedom, choices, clarity and wisdom, not only about how we die, but how we can live too. So welcome to the show, Judith. I'm so glad we're talking about this. Thank you. And thank you for your enthusiasm about a tough topic. <laughs> yeah, you know, <clears throat> I mean, it is important. And, you know, I lost my dad last year. He passed away about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And I, um, I just remember sitting with him. He was sick for a long time before he passed. He, re he really wanted to talk about it. Yes. He really wanted it, you know, and he was kind of frustrated like that, that it seemed difficult to talk to the hospital staff didn't want to talk about it. Um, you know, the like people around were on kind of uncomfortable with the topic. And, and, and I think because like I wasn't, he was really like, can we talk, please talk about this? Like, I'm like, what do you want to talk about? You know? And um, it was sad, but it was sort of like, I mean, we both cried when we talked about it every time we would, but there was some sort of relief I think both of us had when in just kind of being able to air out the topic, right? And I'm I'm just curious if that's like a common experience or what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge you for having the courage to give him, to bear witness to what his truth was, because that's what the dying need more than anything is let me take me out of my emotional isolation because everybody's like, oh, your color looks good today. No, the person is dying, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it, it's really hard because we are so uncomfortable with death that we try to pretend it's not happening. And 2.8 million Americans die every year. Wow. And when you think about the repercussions of that in terms of the number of people who are surrounding them, perhaps, 
um, and how many of us are encountering this intense fear, anxiety, discomfort. Uh, and there's an alternative to that, which is like what you demonstrated with your father, which is all you have to do is allow the person to have their own dying process and love them. Just bring your love present. And sometimes that's just sitting there and listening and mm -hmm. saying, it's okay. To, is there anything you want to talk about? Just mm -hmm. opening, opening it up and extending. I, I would say anything that can be done to break the isolation of you over there and me over here, trying to everybody, trying to hold it together and pretend everything's fine. Right. It's so, um, so interesting. Like I used to live in this old house. It was like, it was built in 1812 and it, um, here in New England, you know, and it had like a front door that was extra wide because it, they needed it wide to pass the coffins in and out of the house. Mm -hmm. And it had a front parlor, like a two, two parlors, one on either side. And one of them was sort of for laying out, right? Yeah. You know, um, and th there was also like a private cemetery in the backyard, you know, like the family had been buried in this private plot. And it, it just made me think when I was super haunted, by the way, but it, um, it just made me think about like how in the past we weren't so cut off from death. You know, people would die at home, they'd be laid out in the parlor. There was a specific parlor for that, you yeah. know, and car carry the coffin through the front door. And and I just wonder if in the past we were so much less, you, you do the preparing the body yourself. And, you know, no, of course, none of that happens these days. We, you get sent somewhere clean, sort of antiseptic, you know, or maybe you have the luxury of dying at home. Some people do, but what, what, where do you think we got so hung up about this? Well, everyday I, occurrence, right? Well, there's, a, there's a couple of very uh, key important things to know about how we created the death taboo in our society and to realize it's not like this everywhere. There are other societies where they have much more comfort or, or rituals that are much more engaging than we have. We have, a, you use the word sanitized, I believe, but, and, or antiseptic, and that's what we've created is an antiseptic, isolated, push, you know, emotionally sanitized environment for death. Right. And that doesn't serve us at all. Part of the reason for it, and this is, I think, really fascinating, is it goes back to the Black Plague, which was 18, excuse me, 1348 to 1352, okay? Wow. And at that time, about half of the population of Europe was wiped out. Now, we can relate to that in terms of the death numbers we're experiencing now with COVID. Yes, right. feel that, feel that. Yeah. Audience members are sighing <sighs> well because it's real. We all are, are born, we live, we die. And when, with that amount of death happening, one of the things that people did back then was they made these black and white drawings about of the Grim Reaper or skeletons and um, dancing skeletons, and they pinned them on their clothing to mock death, wow. to say to death, oh, I'm already dead. You can just pass right over me. Um, I have been doing Google image searches for about 10, 15 years now to watch how do we image death. Right. And that images, those images from 1348 to 1352 are some of the primary images that show up in a Google search. They are still, and it just shows you the unconscious level of fear that we have around death. Okay. 
um, now images just in the last five years, um, uh, there are uh, Evan Alexander. Do you know his name? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. Evan, Evan Alexander is a neurosurgeon who poo-pooed all of this, um, you know, oh, seeing the light and, you know, the, all these wonderful images about uh, near-death experiences until he had one. Huh. And then he's become this great advocate of this alternate way of perceiving death. And because of his credentials, it created a lot more um, credibility for seeing death differently. And now when you start Googling the word death, you start to see images that have color, that have light, that have a positive feeling to them. Wow. And that, that's quite interesting. Another, uh, let me just throw in another one of the um, contributing factors was during the civil, you did such a perfect description of how we used to do death. We had the parlor room. We buried our dead in the backyard. Mm -hmm. The whole family, we lived with the people while they were dying, you know, and it was integrated into our life. Death was a normal part of life. Right. And um, then during the Civil War, when our soldiers were dying far from home and people wanted the bodies brought home, that was what brought forward uh, embalming mm. and made that normalized. So embalming gave us time between death and burial and it made it normal to get into this preserving. And then the whole funeral industry grew out of that. Right. which took our whole ritual of dealing with our dead, beautiful loved ones and put it away from the house. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It's sort yeah. of the same thing happened with birth too, you know, like yes. you, you'd be born at home and then it suddenly went into the hospital. And again, that sort of antiseptic thing. And, you know, we've had a bit of a birth revolution with people having like reclaiming birth. Yep. Can we have the same thing with death? Where's our death revolution? It's happening. It's happening. Um, one of the, one of my favorite things to encourage people to do now is, are you familiar with the death cafe? Yes. Yes. So, so the death cafes began in 2011 in England. And for those who don't know about death cafes, look, go to death death deathcafe.com and look for one near you. These are gatherings. The idea was let's get together with total strangers, have a cup of coffee and have a piece of cake and talk about death. And mm. people actually do this and wow. are more comfortable talking to total strangers about how they really feel about death than you would be in broaching the subject with your, your partner, your children, your parents. And we need to talk to those in our lives. You know, it's like when you have aging parents and they need support and you need to be thinking about what their needs are and how you're going to help them. We have to talk about it. And it's so hard for people to broach the topic. And that's a lot of the reason I wrote this book was to give people the tools to work with, to become, to have a healthier relationship with death. And what are some of those tools? Like if we're just sort of an average person, our parents are aging or we are, you know, we've lost people in the pandemic. Like it's, you know, yeah. what, how do we, what do we do? The first thing I would say is be yourself. Don't try and pretend it's not happening. Don't try and pretend you're not upset. Don't try to protect the other person from emotions. We, it is an emotional time. And the, the greatest gift you can give, which is what you did, Lisa, with your father, is to provide the environment for us to be ourselves with each other and to say, for example, when my mother was dying 
And, you know, she and I shared a home the last nine years of her life and the last six months were pretty rough. And, you know, I would sit there with her and we would talk about it. And I, I would say to her, what does that feel like? I mean, you know, we, we had hit the point where, where this wonderful doctor in the emergency room on one of our many, many trips to the emergency room finally took me aside and said, I need you to understand that there's nothing further that can be done medically for your mother and I think you should consider hospice. That was the greatest gift, um, is not to avoid death and, and all of that, but to be to integrate it into, into your life. But back to your question about what can we do, is open your mouth, talk about it. Say, listen, this is a scary topic for me, but I wanna talk about it. Or say, would you go to this, I know this sounds weird, but would you go to a death cafe with me, please? You know, it's a way to open the discussion. Okay. It was so interesting to me when my dad was dying, even the medical people were so oblique about the process, yeah. you know, and a big city hospital, Brigham Hospital in Boston is one of the best hospitals in the world, really, arguably. And, you know, the day that my dad died, the doctor called me and said, all this medical stuff, blah, 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 blah. He called me really early in the morning. And I, I was like trying to sort through what he was saying. And I was like, wait a second. Are you telling me my dad is dying? And he yeah. was like, oh, oh, oh yeah, yes. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, like that's the important piece of information that I need here, you know? And he's like, yes. And, he, you know, you, you need to get here as quickly as you possibly can. And I was so like curious that even a doctor yeah. had such difficulty coming right out and saying it. They're only now starting, and I mean, it's, a, it's important to understand our historical context. We are in a period of time where there's a pivoting happening where we are creating a new culture of death, but it, is, it takes time because these patterns are so ingrained. When you think about these images that come from the 1300s that are how we see death, that are just starting to change over the past five years, we've got a long way to go. In the medical community, you know, along with what we were talking about before about how the taboo came in place, in the, in the medical profession, they are trained to do no harm and to fix the, basically fix problems. And we have been spitting out, you know, high technologies and new forms of treatments and blah, 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 oh, let's try this, let's try that. Um, one of the things that has emerged is a concept called slow medicine. Um, that somebody came forward and said, you know, when it gets to a point when maybe it's not the best thing to keep throwing yet another technique or tool or medical treatment at the patient, because are we really just saying, I don't want the person to die? And maybe they are ready to die. Maybe it's time to allow nature to take its course. Right. I'm, not, I'm not saying turn your back on the person, but it's important to offer the option and, right. and you find more and more people, for example, who have cancer, who are going through treatments that are so much harder than the disease itself often, mm -hmm. right. that reach a point where they say, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to stop fighting this. I don't want to fight this. And, and in the medical profession, all right, their job is to get you back to health. Right. So if you're going to die, and if that's what they are seeing, like the doctor who said to me, there's nothing more we can do for your mother medically, they often perceive that as a personal failure. It's a failure, right. They see it as a personal failure. So often you have to be the one who says, 
please let us know when it's time for us to consider hospice. Interesting. You know, and people often yeah. think, oh, hospice, that means my person's going to die. I don't want, and people don't want to do that and don't do it till the final days. You can have the hospice. When my mother went on hospice, it was as though we were abducted by angels who understood mm -hmm. what was happening, how to deal with it. They were normal about it. And I had somebody on the other end of the phone, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I was not alone. Mm, it was the most, yeah, it was wonderful. And people are afraid because they associate hospice with death. That's right. But if death is happening and if that is really what's present, hospice is the greatest thing that you can do for your loved one because you bring in people who are comfortable with death rather than doctors who are like, well, I want to give him five more treatments. Yeah, I get it. I totally get it about doctors. And wasn't it Albert Schweitzer who said there's a cure for every disease if you consider death the cure? <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. That's a good one. Another thing is when I was um, researching thanatology textbooks um, for, for school courses, there are courses popping up in colleges and all about death. And I was reading one of them and they gave an example, and this is from a contemporary hospital, where the word death is forbidden around patients. You're not allowed to say anything about wow. death in a hospital, <laughs> okay? And so they had a code word. And this, I, let me prepare you, this is terrible, okay? What they would say, if I wanted, I was a fellow nurse or doctor with you on the floor, I would say to you, guess who won't be shopping at Walmart anymore? Holy moly. Yeah. In wow. our contemporary world, this is how much of an issue, this is how uncomfortable we are with death. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in my book that I think is a fundamental thing that we need to look at is we need to rise above right, wrong consciousness. We look at birth as, oh my God, this is wonderful, a new baby, oh, isn't this awesome? And then we look at death as, oh my God, we don't want this to happen. We've got to do everything to avoid it. It's awful. Right. But they're both perfectly normal. And, when I, and I work as a psychic. That's my, my, my major gig for yeah. ever. And uh, when I talk to the souls on the other side, they sort of see it the other way around. They're like, "Oh, you're going to be born. Oh, I'm sorry. I hope that I hope that goes well for you. Good luck. Good luck." <laughs> and then when you when you die, it's like this incredible liberation, and you get to go back home, right? You know, the yeah. pain and suffering and 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 turmoil of the world is over, and you're free. You know, so one one person who was on the other side just described me. It um, told me it was like taking off a shoe that was three sizes too small. You know, yeah, and. And, and so I've always had a little bit of a, since I saw dead people like my whole life, ever since I was little, I've always had a little, a little bit of a, a, an odd take on death. Like I, cause I was so, so sure that there was something that happens on the other side. And, and I wonder in your experience, it's been mine, but I wonder if you have the same, is it people who really don't have a sense of afterlife, whatever it is, are the most afraid of death. Like if you, just feel like you're going to disappear into nothingness. Um, it seems to me like they have a lot of fear about it. Um, I agree with you. And, and <clears throat> it's interesting you bring that up because I'm currently writing for my next book. And one of the questions I'm discussing right now is who is I and what am I doing here? <laughs> and when you look at how you perceive what your life is about, and if you think that it's just, you know, I'm this body and personality and I'm, 
you know, I want to succeed and I want money and power and success. And if that's how you perceive life, um, you, your, your sense of self is the body personality. If you have a sense of being a soul, you are tapped into a level of consciousness that is beyond the, the right, wrong, good, bad duality world that we live in here. Right. You know, and, and we're wired physically, we, we perceive outward and then compare and contrast, compare and contrast everything. So it's like, oh, I like this color better than that color or this person better than that person or I, this job is better than that job. We sort and, and compare. And we're so used to that that we do that with life and death too. Right. For people who have no sense of themselves as a spiritual being, they don't have anything to look forward to. Right. They see like the loss. It's total loss of the self. It's it's total loss yeah. of self. Whereas for somebody who sees themselves as a spiritual being, as Teilhard de Chardin said, being a, a spiritual being having a human experience, it's like, oh, I wonder where I'm going next. I wonder what's I wonder what I'm going to be doing now. There's something yeah. there's something beyond to look to. I know recently I've become sort of fascinated by um, I mean, I've always been fascinated with the near death experiences mm -hmm. and watching videos of, of people, you know, talking about what happens when they've had a near death experience. And to me, there's something so comforting and beautiful and affirming about, you know, what people report. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, the images are, are quite beautiful. They're quite beautiful. And, and they are so otherworldly because we don't have that contained in our, in our, we don't bring enough of that present in our lives. And I think that's one of the greatest things that um, answering this question of who is I, who, who is this that I'm referring to when I use that word I. Right. You know, because if you actually perceive yourself to be a spiritual being, you have to breathe life into that in the context of a world that's all about right, wrong, good, bad polarities. And it's very hard to bring that energy through. But if you stay focused in that way, life is a very different experience. It's a very different experience. And the things that you, you don't spend your life trying to avoid pain and suffering. You spend your life trying to learn lessons and gain wisdom and elevate your consciousness. It's a very different ball game. Yeah, totally. And I, I'm, I just want to help people find you. So, um, you wrote this beautiful book, "Making Peace with Death and Dying." Um, where can people get it, and how can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, the book is being published next Tuesday. It's being published on Tuesday, January 11th, and they can get it on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, anywhere online. Um, and uh, my website is judithjohnson.com. Um, there's a contact form there, anybody who wants to contact me. Another thing to know is that I do a lot of mentoring work. I work with people who want to raise the level of consciousness from which they're living their lives. Right. And if you go to my website, you'll see information about that. I work with individuals, I work with couples, and I work with people dealing with end-of-life issues, things like grief, uh, overwhelm around doing caregiving, um, you know, fears around death, all of that is an area that I can provide a lot of help. That's beautiful. 
Thank you. Yeah, I really, um, really, really so admire the work that you're doing. And, um, you know, I always think of there's a special energy, special kind of soul calling that it takes to really stand in the presence of death. And I see it in um, midwives. It's like um, birth, you know, labor delivery nurses, like the souls coming in and the souls hospice workers and, you know, uh, chaplains and other people, death doulas and other people who do the work that like you do. Um, it, it's, it's not for everybody. It, there's, a, I think, a very specific calling that we have to do that. And I, I always deeply admire it because it's so important and um, it's so beautiful. So I just wanted to thank you for so no, much for you. the work that you do and the, the fact that you have the courage and grace to speak about it and write about it in a way that's so beneficial for, like you said, something to everybody. We all, our parents are going to die or, you know, we are going to die. Like we, we need to have some tools to kind of, uh, I wish for everybody to be able to go through it with more grace than fear, yeah. you know? Do we have time for one quick little story? Sure, yeah. Okay. I just wanna share something that happened to my mother two weeks before she died. My mother always was a strong believer in God. And that now belief is an intellectual concept, but she moved from intellectual concept to a very profound experience when she was having a breathing treatment one day and I got this panic, this, in, this urgent phone call from her where she could barely breathe. And I thought she was dying, but she was dying for me to get to the hospital so she could tell me what happened. Oh. And she said, and she, and she knew that I had had a personal experience, which I refer to as the day I stopped believing in God mm. because it stopped being a belief. It became a profound living, breathing experience that Should I totally be before. the title of your third book. Yeah, all the time. And my mother spent the day wondering, when are they going to make the announcement? And I'm like, who? What announcement? She said, you know that God is real. People will <laughs> want to live their lives differently. Wow. Isn't that That's, beautiful? I love that. That's I, so I knew you so wanted, wanted to share it with you. Yeah, and that's amazing. It was the Pope, the president, and I don't remember who the third person was, but she was and my mother was totally in her mind, in her right mind. She was not out there when she was having this experience. It was, it was real. And I was so thrilled to see her have that before she died. That's amazing. Well, death is the ultimate transformative experience, isn't it? it like, is. <laughs> so she, that's beautiful that she got to have that um, before she passed. And thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks all of you for being with us today, um, here today talking about this super important topic. I'm glad you're here. If you want to visit me, you can stop by my website at lisacampion.com. I'd love to have you leave a comment or ask a question or just visit with me. And I just want to thank you all again for being with us today, uh, where we are healing the planet one person at a time right here on Empower Radio.